Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 2. I thank God that the Word is alive. I thank Him that the Word is sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank Him that it's the life-giving force. It unveils to us the living Christ. I thank You, Heavenly Father, that Your words are more than our necessary bread. And your words, as far as I'm concerned, are more important to me and should be to you than the very food we eat, the very air we breathe. We should never be without this precious word. Amen? First Peter chapter 4 and verse 2. Well, we'll begin reading at verse 1 when we get to it, but we'll look at both verses. What I want to do this morning is to continue to be led of the Spirit to talk more about the subject of intercessory prayer. I said some things last Wednesday evening. Many of you that were not here need to hear and you need to know. For we will be held accountable for the light that comes into our spirit. To walk in the light thereof. And it's our responsibility to take what we receive from the Word of God and be doers of that Word and not hearers only. If you will recall, we talked about intercessory prayer and we said that intercessory prayer is praying for those that are out of the revealed will of God. Because you see, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul was praying for the church at Colossae and he said, I cease not to pray for you. Intercessory prayer. We cease not to pray this prayer. It's not a type of prayer that you pray once and believe you receive and that's the end of it. That's not intercessory prayer. That's the prayer of faith. But intercessory prayer involves praying for people that are out of the will of God constantly. Persistently, continuously, persevering in prayer. See, it's not a prayer of faith that you pray once, I believe, and you're delivered, and that's it, and glory to God. That's not the prayer of intercession. He says, I cease not to pray for you and desire that you be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. Notice it involves the will of God. He's praying that the church people there are involved in the will of God for their lives. He is communing with the Father. He is praying with the Father. Communing with the Father and saying, I desire that you be filled, that these people be filled with the knowledge of your will. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Notice Paul is praying with the Father concerning the church at Colossae. And he's praying that they're involved with the will of God for their lives. Now on the other hand, we saw that in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, one of the you know, members at that church at Colossae, he prays for you also, but he was laboring or wrestling or agonizing in prayer for them. For what purpose? So that they would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So notice that intercessory prayer involves praying for those that are not allowing God's will to be done in their lives for some reason or another. Well, in this passage of Scripture here in First Peter chapter 4, Let's read verses 1 and 2, and we want to see some things that we need to understand concerning the will of God for our lives and also intercessory prayer. We're going to see about intercessory prayer in connection with this. But I have been strongly impressed of the Spirit to bring to our understanding the fact that intercessory prayer and the will of God are going to go hand in hand. You cannot intercede for somebody out of the will of God. See, the will of God is involved in all types of prayer. And if we understand and know the will of God, then we can pray. If we don't understand and know the will of God, then it's very difficult for us to pray. That's why the Spirit Himself likewise helpeth, also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we are. 
But the Spirit, you see, maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered, because he that searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit. And he makes intercession for the saints according unto the will of God. And when we don't know the will of God, that's an infirmity. And sometimes we can go on and pray for things and pray for things and pray for things and pray for things. And if we don't know the will of God in, in that prayer, really our praying can be very much ineffective. So we don't want to do that. We want to pray each one of us that we are filled with the knowledge of God's will for our lives. And then it's also important to have somebody interceding and praying for us or wrestling against the forces of darkness for us or agonizing in prayer for us so that we do stand perfect and complete in all the will of God, not only as a church body, but also as an individual. Here Peter says in verse chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the, everybody say, will of God. If you're going to live in the will of God in your life, you're going to have to suffer some things in the flesh because your flesh does not want to line up with the will of God. Your flesh does not want to do the will of God. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Your flesh doesn't want to pray. Your flesh doesn't want to go to church. Maybe some of your flesh didn't want to come to church this morning. Maybe some of your flesh did not want to worship God this morning. And if you're going to rely on your flesh, you're not going to walk in all the will of God. You're going to have to suffer in the flesh just like Jesus did. The Bible says that he, through suffering in the flesh, through prayers, through supplications, and through tears, and through agonizings, or through crying, he learned obedience. Do you see that? Jesus did that. Well, if Jesus did that, if we're going to stand complete in all the will of God, we're going to have to do that for ourselves. If we don't do that for ourselves, somebody else better get started to doing it for us, because if they don't start doing it for us, we're on a bad, dangerous road. A road where we know not whether we go with. And I'll show you that in the Word. Well, here we see that Peter is really speaking to those that have been born again. And he's saying to those that have been born again, Now that you're born again, you're going to have to also suffer some things in the flesh. Your flesh is not going to want to serve God. And so in verse 2 he says that you no longer should live the rest of your time in the flesh. He's saying cease from sin. Stop sin in your life. Don't listen to the flesh. Don't obey the voice of your flesh, the dictates of the flesh. Know you not that you are servants to whom you yield yourself to obey, servants of, of sin or unrighteousness unto sin and iniquity unto iniquity, or servants of obedience unto righteousness. So we can either obey the unction of the Spirit, our spirit being led by the Spirit through the Word, or we can obey the voice, you see, of our, our senses or flesh, and if we don't obey that, then we're going to be yielding to the lusts of the flesh, the lust thereof, and we're going to be living in sin. Well, he says that we should no longer live our lives in the flesh, but we should live in the Spirit. And we should live in the will of God. So it's the will of God that once we've been born of the Spirit, that we walk after the Spirit. And when individuals that are born of the Spirit do not walk after the Spirit, then they begin to gratify, you know, to fulfill the gratifications of the, of the senses or of the flesh. And now they're not walking in the will of God. Now what happens when you don't walk in the will of God? I want everybody to know this. When we do not walk in the will of God for our lives individually and corporately, collectively as a church. And you need to note this. Either take note of it, make a mental note of it, write it down. If we do not live after the will of God for our lives, we will never enjoy... The fullness, and I want to emphasize the word fullness, of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. And I don't care how much faith you obtain. I don't care how much faith you have. It doesn't matter, you know, how much we learn to believe God. It doesn't matter, you know, what we do in that area. If we do not fulfill the will of God for our lives and begin to walk in the light of God's will for our lives, we cannot and we will not enjoy the fullness of the blessings. The fullness of the blessings. You can be blessed. But you will never enjoy the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. The children of Israel were willed by God to enter into the land of promise. That land of promise represents the fullness of the blessings that God the Father had for them. 
He says, I've set aside a land for you, and you're to enter into this land of promise. And in that land of promise, as you serve me, I'll drive out the inhabitants of the land, and I'll provide a land that flows with milk and honey. I'll bless your bread. I'll bless your water. There'll not be one miscarriage in the land, either, you know, of your wives or even of your cattle. And he says, and I will personally take away from the midst of thee all sickness and all disease, and none of the diseases that came upon the Egyptians shall come upon you. And when you enter into that land, I will be the Lord your God, and this is my will for you. What a beautiful place to live in. What a wonderful land to live in. But what happened? We found out that even though that was the will of God for their lives, they did not begin to walk in light of God's will for their lives. He said, obey the voice of the angel that I sent to prepare the way for you. And they disobeyed his voice. If they would have obeyed his voice, they would have entered into the land. But disobedience kept them out of the land. Now, they became so disobedient to the revealed will of God for their lives that God finally had to turn them over to judgment. Our God is a God of mercy. He's a God of faith. But he's also a God of judgment. Now, see, the believers should never be judged in this life. The believer is told that if he'll judge himself, he will not be judged of God. But if he does not judge himself, then he will be judged of the Lord. When he's judged of the Lord, he is chastened so that he is not condemned with the world. And the world is not condemned to heaven. So, you see, if these Israelites would have obeyed what the Lord had for them, they would have entered into the fullness of the blessings. But since they disobeyed, they had to be prematurely judged of the Lord. And when they were judged, you know, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Thus saith the Lord. And he begins to speak and pronounce judgment upon them. And he says, And they will not enter into the land, and they will know my breach of contract or, or promise. Do you know what happened? You imagine this. I don't care how much faith they, they, they either developed or learned to have in God. They were only allowed to live 40 more years. And I want you to see this clearly. Even though they could develop faith, even though they can grow up in the wilderness for the next 40 years, they knew aforetime that they couldn't live any longer than 40 years. Those 20 years old and up. Beloved, this is so important. To enter into the blessings of God, the fullness of the blessings of God, it takes an active, obedient faith in the will of God for your life. And no matter how much faith you attain or obtain, or no matter how much understanding of faith you have, unless you obey the will of God for your life, all that faith will be to no avail if you disobey. Imagine, he said, from 20 years old and up, upward, they will not enter into the land, but they will die in the wilderness. They were wandering in the wilderness until they died. That means they only lived to be 60. No wonder Moses lamented and said, Oh, Lord, he says, I'm living to be 70 years old, and by reason of strength, some living to be 80. In other words, in that place, in that wilderness, they were dying young. 60 years old is young to die. But no matter how much faith they mustered up, they couldn't live to be long, you know, older than 60. Now, some of you 20-year-olds out there, just think about what I'm saying. You're having a good time in the world. You know, you're just living out there and doing your old thing and... Just enjoying life and doing what you want to do in life. And, you know, oh, well, you know, I've been raised up in the church, but that's okay. I'm just, you know, uh, that's behind me. I've learned some things about God. Now it's just time for me to just do my own thing out there. And, you know, if I want to go into this place and do this and do that, I'll do it. Well, listen to me. You have the right of choice. You can live your own life if you want to, but be it known. There comes a time in an individual's life that has received the light of God that it doesn't matter how, you know, how much faith you obtain or you think you have. You may be able to repent and God will forgive your sin, just like He forgave the sin of the Israelites. He says, I'll pardon your sin, but you'll not enter my land. A promise. Some wonder why after, you know, later on in life, they can't get healed. They can't get delivered. They can't get set free. You know, and sometimes we think it's just a lack of faith. No, it's not just a lack of faith. They have not set out to do the will of God for their life, and their life represents something in this earth to God. He says, I've given you talents and abilities to use for my purpose, for my will, to promote my work in this earth, not to do your own thing. See? And although they were forgiven of their sin, they couldn't enter into the promise of divine health and healing. They couldn't enter into the promised land of prosperity, a land full of milk and honey. 
And then you know what happens? Then someone wonders why when they become 25, 26, 30 years old and they have a miscarriage. Well, now, isn't that something? I thought God said, yeah, God did say. But it's conditional based upon your obedience to his word. See, some 17, 18, 19, that's a very difficult age. I realize that. But still, we've got instruction. We've got the word. We're not without hope and without God. We've got the gospel. And you've been taught the gospel here in this church. And if we've been taught the gospel, we're responsible to to walk in the light of the gospel. And it doesn't matter how much faith your mom or dad has. It doesn't matter how much faith your pastor has. You see, it's not based on his faith or her or their faith. Once you become to the age of accountability, it is up to your will and obedience to God's will for your life. You can't always live our, you know, your life that way, thinking that, well, you know, it'll be okay. I'll just wait, maybe just do my thing for about 10, 15 years. And then when the Lord cometh, you know, I know he's coming soon. I'm just going to repent and, you know, get back right with God. No, it doesn't work that way. When a person knows to do right and does not do it, to them it's sin. And although, yes, maybe you can come back to God because someone's interceding for you. They're on their knees praying for you. They're on their face praying for you. They're praying night and day. Pray your parents are praying night and day. They're praying for you to get back into the will of God. You're not getting back into the will of God. You, they keep praying. They keep interceding. They keep persisting. They keep persevering and so on and so forth. They keep doing it. Well, then, you know, one day you can get out there to where you're going to get judged. If you don't respond, if you respond in time, you can, you can get under the grace of God and it'll be okay for it. But if you don't respond and you just keep on doing your own thing, before too long you can get judged. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow. I'm just saying it, it, it happens. And I'm going to show you some scriptures that prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that it does happen. And when it happens, intercessors hear my voice. When, when unconditional judgment is pronounced upon any individual, whatever the judgment has been proclaimed to be cannot be changed by prayer. Cannot be changed by prayer. When the judgment has been pronounced by God, no matter what that judgment is in what area of life. An example, when David committed sin, covered up his sin, tried to cover up his sin, went on and just got deeper in sin, finally got to a place he committed murder after adultery and plotting to kill someone and made him drunk to do it, and etc., etc., Finally, he thought he was justified because he got married, married Bathsheba, and figured everything was okay. It's all behind me now. You know what happened? The prophet Nathan came unto him and said, Thus saith the Lord. Now, he did it in the open light of day. But the prophet said, Thus saith the Lord. The thing you've done in secret is going to be found out from to all the people. You try to hide that thing in the chambers of your heart. But what you've done in secret shall be made known and declared from the mountaintops. And thus saith the Lord, thou shalt be a man of the sword all the days of thy life. You know, you can pray for David all you want, but you never change that. Now, you can pray for David in other areas. But to change him from being a man of the sword all the days of his life, you couldn't do that. Because he came to a place of judgment. Now, his child died that he had with Bathsheba in sin. And the judgment of the Lord was, because thou hast done this thing, the child shall surely die. David laid on his face seven days before God or more before God and prayed 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 and fasted all them days. And nothing changed. Nothing changed. Why did it change? Because it was an unconditional judgment. There's anything you can do about it. You say, boy, that's frightening. Yes, it is. Well, do you know what the beginning of wisdom is? The fear of the Lord. When we fear God more than we fear man, then we're beginning to get wise. And so it's important, beloved, that we, even though we know we have those that are praying for us and interceding for us, that, that, that's not the will of God. It's not the will of God that somebody just get out there and try to get you back into where you belong. The best way to be an intercessor is to take somebody the gospel, take somebody the truth, And the best way to respond to that is to hear the gospel message and receive it to yourself. If you say no when someone tells you what the truth is, yeah, they're going to have to start interceding for you. And I want to get to that. They're going to have to get on their face to God before God for you. But when you start saying no and rejecting God, I want you to know that it becomes very difficult spiritually. I mean, very difficult to get back to that place of spirituality. Now, I want to share some of these truths with you that that I believe they help us. For an example, if someone is not born again, they're out of the will of God. And because they're out of the will of God, they cannot fulfill God's will for their life. No matter what they're doing in life, they can't fulfill God's will for their life. For an example, what if God called you to be a preacher and you're not saved? 
how are you ever going to fulfill the will of God for your life? You mean to tell me God would look upon my life and have something that I should do for Him? Absolutely. We were created for His pleasure and for His purpose. Every individual that's born in this world, He has a purpose and a will for. That's why Paul kept praying that you stand complete in all the will of God. That's why Epaphras was, was agonizing in prayer that they stand complete in all the will of God. I mean... The Lord knew He wanted me to be a preacher before He, you know, before I ever got saved. See, it's not up to Him to start doing my will for my life. It's up to me to start responding to His will for my life. He doesn't just wants, you know, want us to live this life and doing our own thing and, and, and uh, you know, just go to church and, you know, we have church and we go two, three times a week sometimes. He doesn't just want us to do that. That's part of it. But He wants us to get actively involved in what He wants us to do in life. To represent His will in this life and to carry out that will in this life. And when the person responds to the tug of God and then begins to act upon what His will is for His life, then the plan begins to unfold and the program begins. Now, when I came to Jesus and I was born again, then and only then did the will of God begin to unfold to me for my life. So if you're an unsaved person out there, God's will has already been established in heaven, but it's not been established in the earth for you. If you're not born again of His Spirit, if you've not passed out of darkness into light, then the will of God has not been revealed to you as of yet for your life. Well, and if it's not unfolded to you and it's not revealed to you, you can't get actively involved in God's will for your life. What happens? You begin to live life, and yes, you become 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, and you're not doing God's will. Someone says, well, I'll wait till I'm about 60, then I'll get saved and start doing God's will. Well, you just wasted your whole life, as far as God's concerned. Now, listen to me. That part of your life was not invol involving the will of God. Now, he's glad you got saved at 60, and, and, and you should be saved at 60, or no matter how, if you're 80. And I'll share a testimony, and it just got saved in the late, latter part of her 80s. But that whole life that person lived was lived without fulfilling the entirety of the will of God for that life. Now, I started at the age of 24, and I'm, I'm sad to say that. But at the age of 24, I, I found out you had to be born again. And then when I found out you had to be born again, I responded to what the gospel message was. And I came and accepted the will of God for my life. And I began to fulfill God's will for my life. And then it began to unfold. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I want you to do this. Now, in light of that, he said, if you be willing to do my will and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Israel wasn't willing and obedient. Consequently, they did not eat the good of the land. Although he took care of them in the wilderness, limitedly, they could not enter into the fullness of the blessings God had for their life because they wouldn't fulfill his will. Now, an unsaved person, in order to get involved in God's will, must, number one, become saved. You must be saved. God's will is established in heaven, and we are told as intercessors to pray that the will of God be done in earth as it is in heaven. Well, if you're not born again, if you're not saved, then you're not involved in the will of God. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. This is the will of God that everyone be saved. God sent His Son into the world that they, everybody would be saved by Him. So that is the will of God. That's the number one step in, in fulfilling the will of God is coming to Jesus to be born again. But once you come to be Jesus, to see, meet Jesus and you are born again, then He says, I don't want you to live your life in the flesh and fulfilling the lust of the flesh. I want you to live your life fulfilling the will of God. See, that's what he said. Now, Jesus' blood was shed not only, well, his blood was shed for the remission of all sins. So, the blood of Jesus is established in heaven and represents the will of God in heaven for those that are lost. Now, when a person hears the gospel message and, and responds to the tug of the Holy Spirit and comes and says, Yes, I will to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. Yes, I will to be born again and receive eternal life. Yes, I will to fulfill God's will for my life in this earth. I will not live for myself. I will live for Him. At that point, He comes and receives Jesus Christ. He's born again. He's now actively involved in the will of God. He's now established the will of God in the earth for His own life. Step number one. 
Now, that person could spend 20 years, the next 20 years of his life, and never developing in the will of God. Never. If he doesn't get right teaching, proper teaching, if he doesn't under, seek the Lord as he should. Because, you see, babes can get sidetracked. They can get handicapped spiritually, mentally, physically. And if they don't get the right message, if they don't get the truth, then they can become, you know, spiritually handicapped and don't fulfill the will of God. Some to this day, in 30 years of being a, a born-again Christian, they don't know it's the will of God for them to be healed. Can you imagine taking 30 years to try to figure that thing out and then come up to the conclusion it's not God's will? What aren't they involved in? The will of God. It's God's will they be saved. It's God's will they be healed. It's God's will they be filled with the Holy Ghost and be willing and obedient to all those things of the Spirit. And if they don't get involved in it, well, he's, he's merciful. He's patient. But we can't wait forever. The reason why God will not strive with man forever and God will not wait forever is because your lifespan is only so long in the earth. And if your lifespan is only so long in the earth, if I'm spend the better part of my life not being involved in the will of God, I don't have too much time left to get into the will of God. And to fulfill the will of God, it takes time of growth and development. Believe me, I am not developed as a minister or as a preacher of the gospel. I am in the, you know, the stage of development. I am starting to grow. I'm starting to develop it, to develop. Next year, I'm going to be more developed than I am this year. The year after, I'm going to get more developed, and I'm going to begin to reach out to do what God would have me to do, and develop and develop and develop until the ministry comes to its full fruition. See, first 30, then 60, then 100 fold. But now, if I don't take the time, or if I don't start when I you know, initially know the will of God, I'm not going to have time to develop. Because, you know, just as you don't grow up physically all at once, you're not born a full-grown, mature human. We don't grow up. Spiritually overnight. It takes time. It takes years. Kenneth Hagin is in his 50th year. was just, just honored 50th year of ministry. And just now he's getting into some of the things that were prophesied way back 25, 30 years ago. And he says, I'm just beginning to develop in these areas and bring, you know, to full fruition what the will of God was for me way back 45 years ago. Well, now think about this. If he didn't do anything for those 45 years, when it comes now, how can he fulfill all that? 45 years have come and gone and he's not developed. So now what's God going to do? He says, I can't bless you. Why can't you bless me? Because the 45 years you're supposed to be developing, you'd be, right now you'd be at the place where you'd be walking in the fullness of my blessings, but you see you've not done it. Now I'm limited. Why? Because you've limited me in your life. That's what Israel did. That's what David did. And that's what Saul, the king of Israel did, did the exact same thing. Well, let's turn to that scripture. Well, first of all, let, let, let's find another scripture. We're going to talk about Saul in a minute. Go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. I want to show you what the will of God is for each and every individual's life. And it doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, where you've come from. It doesn't matter. Verse 24. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Everybody say, deny himself. That's number one. And take up his cross. Everybody say, take up his cross. And number three, follow me. Everybody say, follow me. Follow me. took me a long while to get, get quiet before God where I could figure out what he was saying. But what he was saying was this. Deny your own self-will. Deny the, your own will in this earth. Deny yourself the right to fulfill your desires in life. Deny yourself. You may want to be a this in, in, in life. You may want to be a that in life. You may want to become a lawyer. You may be, want, want to become a doctor. You may want to become a firefighter. You may want to do this. But you see, he said, deny yourself. You may want to achieve this, or you may want to achieve that, or you may want to achieve whatever. But you see, he said, deny yourself. That's what your will is in life. Well, certainly it wasn't my will in life to be a preacher. I mean, I didn't wake up at night and say, boy, I'd just love to be a preacher. If I had my way in life, I'd be a preacher. I wasn't even saved. I didn't even know what a preacher did. You see what I'm talking about? 
He said, deny yourself. Whatever you want to do in life, whatever you'd like to do in life is going to take time. It's going to take development. Many individuals have given up many years of their life to become Olympic stars. And it was their desire to reach those goals. And we thank God for all that they did. But I want you to know all the time and the effort it put, it took them to develop, to become as they were when you saw them during the Olympics. All the time, the hours, the effort, all that it took. If you were to take that amount of time and put it into the things of the Spirit, you'd be a spiritual giant. And those things are temporal. I guarantee you, if those individuals one year later didn't do any exercise for the next year, all their world records, they'd never be able to attain to them. They'd never be able to do it. Because they would have to, you know, remain consistent in what they were doing to get better. And so what Jesus is saying, if a man's going to come to me, let him deny himself the right or the, the, the desire to fulfill his own desires and pleasures in life. Deny yourself. Then he said, take up your cross. What is take up your cross? I've heard many try to explain that. I'm going to tell you exactly what it is, and I know it for a fact. Take up your cross is do the will of God. It's exactly what it is. Deny your own self-will. Take up your cross. Do the will of God. I'll tell you how I know that. Jesus says, I've come to the earth not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. That's doing the Father's will for his life. I didn't come to do my own will, but the will, that means he had a will. But I came to do the will of him that sent me. And he was obedient unto the will of God, even unto the death of the cross. And in Gethsemane's garden, we saw him over there crying out in prayer and intercession. For himself and the world. And what's he doing? Not mine will be done. He see, he's suffering things in agonizing prayer. Not mine will be done, but thine will be done. Unto the end of his life. Take up your cross. And he went right to the cross. Doing the will of God. That's taking up your cross. And then he said, he didn't leave us there. He said, but follow me. How am I going to do the will of God? Follow me. See, following me means John eight twelve says... He shall not walk in darkness, but he shall have the light of life. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. In other words, we are following him. Be followers of God, walking in love. Be followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise of God. Jesus is our example. He is our forerunner. We are following in his footsteps. Walking in the light of God's will for our life. Being obedient to the will of God for our life. Now listen. If we do not take it upon ourselves to discover God's will for our lives. If we as a corporate body, collective body, do not take it upon ourselves to fulfill the the will of God for our lives. We need somebody to intercede for us desperately. Because, you see, when a person becomes actively involved in the will of God, then all the other things are going to fall into place in their life. Now, I want you to see something here about intercessory prayer when it comes to the will of God. Intercessors, this is a blessing. See, questions become, well, they come to be answered, maybe not overnight, but as you observe what's going on in the realm of the Spirit, when you see things happening in intercessory prayer... Then the questions you had in your heart that begin to you know, be answered. Like, why am I always crying in prayer? Why am I burdened down and crying in prayer and weeping all the time? It seems like that's all I'm doing. And this one over here said, why am I always quoting the Word in prayer? In intercession when I'm praying. I'm praying for the church here at Midland. I'm saying, oh, Father, I desire to be filled with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that they can walk worthy of you and all pleasing be proof of every good work increasing in the knowledge of God. And, Father, I just pray in Jesus' mighty name that their, their eyes are open. They have the spirit of revelation and the knowledge of you. And you're, 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 you're going off that way. You're praying that way. And then someone else is weeping and crying. And you're going, are they different than I am? Why are they weeping and crying? I'm over here. I'm praying the word all the time. That's how I pray. Paul was praying the word for the church at Colossae. Communing with the Father, praying with the Father, praying the Word over that church, releasing the forces of light so that the people can have that influence around them. But Epaphras, notice this, is not conflicting with Paul in prayer, but he's praying for the same church. But what's he doing? He is praying against wrestling with or agonizing against the powers of darkness 
so that those influences will be kept back away from them so they can be free to receive the light that's being prayed by that brother over there. See, they're not conflicting in prayer. They're working together in prayer. One against the forces of darkness. One's releasing the power of God. One's restraining the forces of evil. One's releasing the power of God. And together they're praying for the same result. What? That they stand complete in all the will of God. Same thing. Now, what I want you to do is to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I want you to see, I, I want your undivided attention, especially for those of you that at this hour of your life, you are not actively engaged and involved in walking in the light of God's word and will for your life. Some have even ceased attending church regularly. And that's a sign. You see, Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a holy sacrifice, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable and perfect will of God for your life. Some have started out in the good will of God for their life, but they've never entered into the acceptable or the perfect will of God for their life. And so they became stationary in their walk with God or they began to regress. And decline. Well, I want you to see something here. Here in verse 20, 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. The prophet Samuel came to Saul, who was at this time the king of Israel. And during the course of his reign... He started out with a humble spirit before God, and he began to do the things of God as God would have him to do it as reigning king over Israel. He started out with humility, with the right, you know, sensitivity in his spirit to the things of God. But then his power began to go to his head, and he began to get full of pride. People that surrounded his life began to influence him. Oh, it's okay, King, if you do this. But the Lord said do this. But it's okay. I'll do, I'll do that. Maybe part of what the Lord says. But it's okay if you come over here and do this. And the Lord told him to do many, many things. And during the course of his, his reign and during the course of his life, slowly but surely he began to regress in doing the things the will of God. And little by little, and that's exactly how it happens, his spirit becomes affected. When the believer stops doing the will of God... The things that you know to do, to go to church, to pay your tithes, to pray for the lost, to intercede, and to help the poor, the needy, greet people at the church, become involved in any way you can, etc., etc. I want to get to some of those things, time permitting. Well, your spirit is affected. Everybody say your spirit's affected. See, something happens inside your spirit, the spirit of man. That takes away from its strength. And if we keep on disregarding what God's will is for our life and, and, and don't get involved in it, then little by little by little by little, our spirit man begins to regress. It becomes weaker when it comes to the things of God. Finally, we get to a place that we are influenced by those around us more so than we are by the things of God, like the fear of the Lord, humility, coming before God with a contrite spirit, a pure heart. Then, if you continue this long enough in your life, as Saul did, here's what happens. Listen to what happens in verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. See, he said, does the Lord delight in your offering up sacrifices and and animals as as a sacrifice to, to me, as well as he does in your obeying his voice? See, what happens is people get influenced. People get influenced by other people. Teenagers get influenced by those around them. Some in their 20s, they get influenced by the people they hang out with. 
They stopped going to church. They may go on to a bar. They may do this. They may do that. When they knew the truth. And little by little, little by little, these things begin to happen. And all of a sudden, well, we'll just repent after. They develop an attitude that God is merciful. God is forgiving. I will just repent later. Saul developed this attitude in his life. And as reigning king, he says, well, yeah, I'll just I'll offer up a sacrifice. First thing he said was we went to offer up a sacrifice. Look at verse 24. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their, their voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for, the, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king. Samuel turned away, and as you go on and read through that, you'll find out that, that, that he wanted to offer up a sacrifice unto the Lord for a sin. All right, now listen. We can get to a place that we develop the same type of attitude inside our spirit where, well, well, we'll just, you know, we're going to do this and we'll just repent later. We're going to do this or I'm not going to do this and I'll just repent later. God will forgive me. Well, John says this was written unto you that you sin not. Not that you sin and repent later. He says this was written so that you sin not. Now, in verse 22, let's, or verse 23 rather, he says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now, Isaiah said, if you rebel against the will of God, and if you refuse to do the will of God, then you're going to be devoured, and you're not going to get into the land of promise. But if you obey and are willing and obedient, then you shall have promise, and you shall eat the good of the land. Well, here we see that Saul got to a place in his life that he developed this attitude that, I'll repent, I won't do it, or I'll do part of it, then I'll repent. And he continued on, reigning as king, just like this. And I'll repent, and I'll repent, and I'll repent, and I'll repent. I know I should be doing this, and I'll repent, and I'll repent, and I know I should be doing that, and I'll repent, and I'll repent, and I know I should be doing this, and I'll repent, and I, and I should be training up my kids, and I'll repent. I should pay my tithes, but I don't, but I'll repent. And then they develop this attitude inside their spirit. And they begin to live the rest of their life that way. I know God wants me to speak to people about their salvation, and I didn't do it, I should have done it, but I'll repent. And the next time I know God wanted me to speak to that person about their salvation, I didn't do it, but I'll just repent. Lord, forgive me. Well, to obey is better than the sacrifice. And to hearken is better than the fat of rams. To obey what God would have us to do in life is better than offer up a sacrifice and say, forgive me for that thing that I, did, that I didn't do. So to be obedient to the will of God is the issue. And because he was not obedient to the will of God for his life, he got to a place where God finally had to judge him. And when he judged him, here's what happened. For rebellion, verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now, he's talking about stubbornness. Well, he says stubbornness also. But rebellion means to oppose the one who's in authority. When you gave your life over to the Lord, who became Lord of your life? Who's the Lord of your life? To oppose the one in authority. Who's the one in authority over your life? Well, to rebel against what the will of God is in my life, in your life. To rebel, as he said in Isaiah, and to refuse to rebel and to refuse to do what the will of the Lord is in your life, is as the sin of witchcraft. And what is the sin of witchcraft? Now, you need to note this if you don't know it. It's communicating with evil influences. I'm going to say that again. It's What is intercessory prayer? Communing with who? What is rebellion? Communicating with an evil influence or an evil force and deciding not to do what the will of the Lord is because of your influence. That is rebellion. It's as the sin of witchcraft. It's listening to an evil influence. God was saying, do this, and you listened to the evil influence that said, don't do this. God was unctioning you to do this. You listened to what the people said, and the people, like they did Saul, convinced you, don't do it. Saul said himself, I feared the people more than I feared God. I feared not the Lord, but I feared the people and what they would do and what they would say. So you, so you see what happens? He gets turned over to, into a position where his spirit man is not going to be sensitive. He becomes insensitive to the things of God, to the voice of the Lord. Now he's rebelling against what the will of the Lord is. God's will is now being 
hampered in his life. And also for the nation of Israel. So consequently, he's being judged. Then he goes on to say in that verse, verse 23, and stubbornness. Now, stubbornness means unreasonably, unreasonably or unjustifiably unyielding. Everybody say unyielding. Unyielding to the influence of God. Unyielding to what the revealed will of God is. He was not yielding. He was unreasonably, unjustifiably, unyielding to what God's will was or is for his life. And for the nation of Israel. Doing what God said. And that sin, he says, is as the sin of iniquity and idolatry. Everybody say idolatry. Idolatry means to set yourself up or set an object up as God. And in this case, in this reference, what he's meaning, what he means is, is that the individual who is rebelling, the individual who's being stubborn, is setting himself up as God, making it idolatry. So you heard by some unseen, some person who is led by an unseen influence that tongues was not for today. Well, you have the choice to either yield to that influence or yield to what the will of God or what the word of God actually says about the Holy Ghost and speaking with other tongues. And so we become so influenced by that wrong spirit that we become stubborn to what the spirit of God is saying to us. We yield more to what that influence says than to what the Spirit of God has influenced us to do. And you know what? A person can be so judged that he won't get the Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues as long as he lives his days upon this earth if he holds true to what he's been influenced. And the only way you're going to get delivered and and to be filled with the Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues is come over to the other side and begin to be delivered from that disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That's proper hearing. Hearing actively what the will of the Lord is and to obey it. Now, you take that in every area of life and it holds true. Don't set yourself up as God before God. Jesus said you shall speak with other tongues. You never hear me saying stuff like that. If Jesus said that you'll speak with other tongues, what are you going to do? Who's Lord over your life? They that believe on me in my name shall they do what? Cast out devils, speak with new tongues. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Well, you know, my preacher didn't say that. I don't care who your preacher is. Jesus said it. Everybody say, Jesus said it. Who said it? Who's Lord over your life? Am I to believe a preacher or am I to believe Jesus? That's why. Don't even believe me. If I just sat up here and said, well, no, not here. Speaking with tongues is not for everybody. Throw apples and oranges and uh, tomatoes and eggs. Jesus said it. God said to Saul, go out there and take Agag and destroy him and the people and all the people but the sword and all that. And don't bring one thing back because it's all ungodly as far as I'm concerned. He came back because he feared the people and he brought back the king, King Agag, and he brought back some of the, you know, the lambs for an offering for a sacrifice. And, and, and Samuel says, you know, what are you doing? You disobeyed the Lord again. Well, I was influenced by the people. Well, you know what? Get out there with that wrong influence and people will influence you. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Everybody say evil communications. Say it this way. Communicating with evil will corrupt good manners. And I don't care who you are. Communicating with evil. And that's exactly what witchcraft is. We're communicating with evil influences. That's telling you, what do you think Satan did to Eve in the garden? And what was the sin that kept them out of the promise was disobedience. By one man's disobedience, sin entered into the world and death by sin so much as all have sinned. But by one man's obedience, who was the obedient one? Jesus. By one man's obedience came righteousness and truth. How did Jesus learn obedience? Through the things that he suffered in the book of Hebrews chapter 5. Let's go to that scripture real quick. It may take tears for you to get in the will of God. It may take crying and groanings and agonizing and prayers and travail before you get into the will of God. But no matter what it takes, we got to get into the will of God for our lives. No matter what it takes, we got to put every effort into getting into the perfect will of God for our lives. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7.
who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong cryings and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. He had a reverential fear. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he had suffered. He's offering up supplication. He's offering up prayers. He's crying out in agonizing prayer for himself and for the world. He doesn't want to fulfill his will. He wants to fulfill the Father's will. And we're not better than Jesus. Are we? Your flesh doesn't want to do the will of God. Your flesh doesn't want to go to church three times a week. Your flesh doesn't want to pay your tithes. Your flesh doesn't want to witness the people. Your flesh doesn't want to pray. And all those things involve the will of God. I will that every man lift up their holy hands praying always. Never cease to pray, the Bible says. Witness to those that are lost. You're an ambassador for Christ. Get involved in the will of God actively. And if we don't do that, we're not doing the will of God for our life. Oh, we may be living life and we may be born again. But now let's not live our life in the flesh, but let's live our life after the will of God for our life. Now go back. I'm sorry I made you turn from it, but go back to 1 Samuel 15 again. I want you to see something. Intercessors, look at this scripture. When a person gets to a place in their life, as Saul did, and he becomes judged of the Lord, and the judgment comes, and it's unconditional. You cannot change with prayer the judgment of the Lord, that kind of judgment. You can't change it. You see, there's nothing you can do about it. Look what happened here. He said, Saul, you have rebelled against the will of God. Verse 24, 15, 24. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words because I fear the people and obey their voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. And Saul, Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with thee for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. Everybody say Saul rejected the word of the Lord. Now, notice this judgment. And the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. We read that first part in, in Hosea 4, 6 that says, My people perish through the lack of knowledge. They destroy through the lack of knowledge. He says, Because thou hast lack, because you would not, because you've rejected knowledge, I will reject thee. And sometimes I don't think we realize how strong those words are. What's he mean, I will reject thee? Because you have rejected my knowledge, he says, I will reject you. What's he talking about? Look at this verse again. And the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. I pray thee before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. He's talking about offering worshiping with a sacrifice for his sin. See, that's what he wants to do. You've done it all these times before, now do it again for me. Okay, look at this. He was ashamed. So Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul... Saul attempted himself to worship the Lord. Then said Samuel, bring ye hither to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him delicately. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah. And Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, now notice this, intercessors. Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. Here's Samuel. He's, he's mourning. He's crying. He's mourning for Saul. God just says, I've rejected you from being king. I've taken the kingdom from you. He offers up a sacrifice. He's, he finally kills Agag. He was supposed to do that before, but he didn't do it. He did it now after the judgment came. And so Samuel goes back in his quarters and he's, he's mourning. He's crying out for Saul. Look at the next verse, chapter 16, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, how long wilt thou mourn for Saul? How long wilt thou mourn for Saul? You know, the intercessor, sometimes a weeping comes on you because you don't, you can't do nothing. 
and you don't know what to do. That's the infirmities that, that we have. What am I going to do? And you begin to wait. And when someone rejects the Word of God and they don't, they don't take the Word of God, you're interceding against the forces of darkness. And that's why that weeping could come on you. But when it comes to a place of judgment like this was, was right here, and the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected? He said, I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. He says, fill the horn with oil, go anoint somebody else. And you know that it was David that he anointed. When there's an unconditional judgment that goes forth, beloved, out of the mouth of the Lord. And that judgment is proclaimed and pronounced by God. And there is no, no conditions. It's unconditional. There's nothing anyone can do about it. Are you trying to put fear into us? Actually, yes. The fear of the Lord. Reverential fear of God. Because if, if we get out there and start living our own life and doing our own thing and doing what we want to do, one day is day's going to come. A day will finally come where we've not fulfilled the will of God for our life. And my life means something in this earth to the Father and so does yours. I would, let me give you an example. We were in, in uh, Oklahoma. Beautiful place to live. Sitting under the ministry of Kenneth e. Hagin, just, just taking in all the things of the Spirit, just enjoying it down there. And the most difficult time in life. I can start way back. I go back to the beginning when we were in Youngstown. God told we, we finally got to a house that we've always wanted to live in on the street that we always wanted to live on for the rest of the days of our life. And we were content and satisfied and happy, very young babies in the Lord. And we were going to stay there. And for the first seven months of that house, we put all the money we had into it, working to make it, you know, the, the house we wanted to live on. And I mean, we were settled. It was it would be the rest of our life in that house, that street, etc. And the Lord, after seven months, see, we got a taste of it, but in seven months said, now it's time for you to go. Time for you to go. It is? Go. Yes, Father. Not mine will be done, but thy, my will would have been to stay there. I was happy. I was content. We were complacent, weren't we, honey? Well, he said, go. So we turned our back on everything that we've always wanted in life. And it seemed like we were getting to a place we are going to have it. We took off. We got down there, I mean, to, to, just to start life over again, everything we had, all the, any equity we had in our house, everything was gone. I mean, everything we even began to save for in life, that, you know, everybody does that in life, but gone. Down there at school. Finally, get a job out of school, just get done, you know, just coming towards the end of school year. He says, now I want you to go back to Ohio. Do you realize what it takes nine months later to move a whole household once again? Go back to Ohio. Nevertheless, not mine will, but thine will be done. So we came back to Ohio. And I mean, we left Tulsa, Oklahoma. He says, now once you go on down there, you're going to be the next pastor of that church. We started driving, driving down the east end of East Liverpool when it was worse than what it is now. <laughs> I mean, when you had to go by that riverside and... and, and uh, I don't know if it was a town or what it was. I mean, I mean, when you're used to a big, nice city like Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, I mean, you know, Youngstown's not all that big, but that it, the outlying areas there are just, you know, just everything is at your fingertips. We didn't know how far into, you know, we didn't know. Some people think they're going to get shipped to Africa, you know. Well, we didn't know where we was going, but I'll tell you what. We, I looked at my wife and said, honey, we're going, God wants us to move down here. I mean, <laughs> See, he spoke to our hearts and said, do it. All I want to get across to you, you think it was our will, you think it was my will to leave that ministry and to come back over here to Ohio just to go down to a church and there's, there's 35 people there. But listen to me. Those 35 people were praying. God's eyes were beholding the good. And he says, I see you and I see them. You need to go from Youngstown to Tulsa to Youngstown to Midland. But I didn't know any of that. But that's where I want you. And we says, I will be done. Each step along the way. Here we come down here. 35 people. Now, that's the will of God. But I want you to know that every step along the way, when we acted in the will of God for our lives, when we laid our hands on our kids, they were healed. And we says, Father, we have need of this. It was provided. Disease leave that body, it left. You see what I'm talking about being in the will of God? Adam's disobedience, Jesus' obedience, 
Now my obedience to the will of God for my life will cause your faith to work at all times. All times. And so you see, we, we set out to fulfill the purpose and plan and program for God's will, God's will for our life. Now when you stop doing that, beloved, when you stop doing that, you start to harden your heart like Saul. When you become disobedient to what God's Word says for you to do, when you stop paying your tithes, when you stop praying for the lost, when you stop doing the things that's been revealed in God's Word as His will for people's lives and for your life, then everything else begins to fall apart. If it gets to a place that you judged, you will never enter into the fullness of the blessings of God. Some people say, well, what is the will of God for my life? Deny yourself. Take up His cross, your cross. Follow Him. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.